What is up, podcast listeners? This is Miguel, and I have two quick announcements before the podcast gets rolling. One, I'm going to start releasing original music again once a month on July 14th. And if you follow me for some time, I used to be with a band called Run With It, and the tracks I'll be releasing is actually a re-release of what Run With It did under my solo name. Uh, so again, make sure you go to my website, justthemiguel.com, follow on Spotify, or make sure you're following along on any other platform as well, because I will start dropping new music tracks, re-releases of Run With It stuff, July 14th with I Need a Light, and then after that, every month, another song from that EP, and I'm gearing up in the studio for the releases for 2022 as well, and then there'll be more information on that as uh, as I have it. So, and then this next podcast uh, that you're listening to today actually inspired an event that is going to be happening. It's the first Live and Create Live event. It's going to be happening Sunday, October 3rd at the Rhino in Kansas City. And it's going to be on the topic of mental wellness through storytelling. And when you listen to the podcast today, you'll hear where it's going because our main speaker is going to be the guest today, which is V-Tran. But yeah, let's get into the episode so you can see what he'll be talking about. What is up? I'm Miguel Antonio, and this is the Live and Create podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. On today's episode, we have V-Tran. V is a Vietnamese-born actor, singer, musician, venue owner, curator, and wellness coach, and he probably does uh, like 15 other things because he's always creating new things. From performing in large stage productions to fronting the V Tran Band all the way to operating the Buffalo Room, V is a true artistic entrepreneur. And I personally would say one of the most notable things he's done is writing and producing his own musical, The Butcher Son. The Butcher Son is the true story of him and his family and him as a young boy as he was smuggled out of Vietnam, captured in Cambodia, and eventually finding themselves in a Red Cross refugee camp in Thailand. They eventually find their way to western Kansas, and I, the, the story is powerful. And whenever you get the opportunity, when, when things open back up and, and it can come back together again, I, I would say definitely go see that thing. In this podcast, we we talk about everything from from Wagon Wheel and Don't Stop Believing and how they're important songs for a set <laughs> if you're in a cover band uh, and and all the way to the hustle and, and the story of V and how how he has navigated the pandemic. Uh, but we spend a good amount of time on this idea of archaeology of self. It's a it's a piece where V has been coaching people in the idea of wellness and he unpacks what archaeology of self means. It's a it's a powerful episode. I think uh, it'll be incredibly helpful for you. Enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. Well, that that really is probably a great place to start is uh, playing gigs together, you know, and and we we have both learned that there are certain songs that white people turn up on, you know, and <laughs> and I always thought the only one was Don't Stop Believing. And anyone listening to this who's like, no way, like, just try it one time and you'll see people lose their minds. But then we're playing a gig. I was backing you up uh, private party. And and you're like, hey, do you know Wagon Wheel? I'm, I had no idea at this point, And you're like watch this i can't remember exactly what you said but you <laughs> it, it changed the game as far as making people turn up right yeah no i mean and it, it was hot at the time and nobody needs to hear another cover of wagon wheel and yet they do the they people do. want it 
Right. Yeah. Right. Anyone after like three Coronas, you well, that's probably a bad choice of beer right now. But <laughs> but uh, <laughs> after three beers, uh, your choice of light beer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wagon wheel. Everyone wants to hear it. They want to that's dance. Right. They want to groove to it. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and that's my thing. I can be a snob about those kinds of covers or I can just lean into it, you know, and and I would rather play Wagon Wheel than Freebird. You know, I would yes. rather play Wagon Wheel than even Don't Stop Believing. I'm totally fine with you doing Don't Stop Believing, and I'll back you up on that. But, you know, I have I have certain songs where I'm just like, you know what? I I get no joy out of playing this song. I know that you do. I know that you do. Uh, not you playing it, but like the the audience. I was like, right. I know it gives you joy, but but there's like this uh, this uh, fun pyre meter. Like a fun pyre is like a vampire <laughs> that 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 you know sucks the fun out of fun you. pyre. I love it. Fun pyre. <laughs> you, you know, we have certain friends who are like, hey, oh my God, he's a fun pyre. He walks into the room and just sucks the fun out of the room. Sometimes like, I'm the uh... fun pyre. Sometimes yeah. I'm the fun pyre, you know? I've Sometimes been guilty we all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, depending but, yeah. on the mood when before I came to the party and, and depending on how much I drank, it's like, now I'm the, yeah, fun pyre. I, yeah, <laughs> I exactly. And well, like, and I think that that hits on a reality for what we do, you know? It's right. like, we love music. We love this thing. You're an actor, you're a musician, all these things. But often we find ourselves uh, living out the idea that we're providing a service. It's like, right. it's not when we get on stage, we want it to be about us in a lot of ways, but in reality, it's not. It's like, how do we connect? And even down to the songs we love, right? The songs we, we've poured over for, with our whole life story, whatever it is. Uh, but then night after night after night after night, it can kind of feel stale to us. But then how yeah. do we bring that service to the audience? It's it's, Absolutely. A, it's a big thing. Well, and I think it's it's being it's being honest with yourself. I mean if you are there to connect, right? Whether that's with a cover gig, corporate gig, or your own original stuff, uh, the point is to connect, right? And so it's being honest with yourself about how much, um, how much you can give and in what ways and still remain authentic in your joy, right? right? Uh, for example, you know, let's, let's quote, hey, he recently passed, Jen Steinman, uh, who did a lot of writing for Meatloaf, you know, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. You know, right. it's like, I'll play you Wagon Wheel, <laughs> but I just can't bring myself to play X song or th exactly. this other song because that's like sucking. Sweet Home Alabama is that for me. Right. Right. Like, right. You know, as we went to K-State and it's an ag school and it got requested so many times, you learned it. And but like I would I would just feel like I'd stab my eye out doing right. that song again at this well, point. Well, and unless they also... tip like two hundred bucks, like I have a right. price. There's right. a price, <laughs> you know, three hundred. Like... <laughs> it's like um, you know, and then there's the cognitive dissonance that that comes with being a Vietnamese American musician, right? Like like you, brother, you're you're passing white, so you oh, can yeah. pull off. I pass white Alabama okay. or Freebird <laughs> or whatever, you know. And, but for me, I'm just like, yo, dude, I'm a South Vietnamese dude. Uh, did you really just <laughs> request <laughs> Skinner from me? <laughs> Doesn't like, that seem weird. a little off to you? <laughs> you're you're no, going to unbutton your shirt to unveil your Confederate flag, you know, right. T-shirt that you wore to the show. And it's like, no, no. But no, I'm from the that... South, but I'm from South <laughs> Vietnam, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, I love how you when we when we do like Ring of Fire or something. And right. uh, 
uh, which I, I always fuck up the riff, but that's a whole other topic. Uh, but when we do Ring of Fire, I love how you call it out. You're like, bet you never thought you'd see a Vietnam, uh, Vietnamese guy sing some Johnny Cash for you. But right, here we right. go. <laughs> no, and so and when that happens, you know, that's how you uh, how you can kind of catch those uh, those lobs from the audience and then you pivot and you toss it back, right? Love right. It. And so instead of allowing yourself to be heckled, you know, uh, you catch it and you lob it back, but in a way that isn't adversarial, right? Right. It's like, no, you don't have to go to a place of like, F you, oh my God, find some new material. I can't believe you just requested Firebird uh, or Freebird. Um, Firebird would be a cool metal song. I'm sure there is a metal <laughs> song called Firebird. Um, I'm sure but it's got to like, be out there. You know, you requested Freebird. I'm not going to give you Freebird, but I'm going to give you something you didn't even know you needed, which was a Vietnamese man singing, you know, Ring of Fire. <laughs> right? Like, my life has completely changed tonight. It has completely yeah. changed. We uh, got in a habit. The first band I was with, uh, oh, man, what were, that was when we were playing in bands out in Manhattan. Uh, the rest of us. The rest of the us. Band. And uh, we would people would yell out covers that they wanted to hear us. And we'd, we'd be like, we don't know that one, but here's a B-side from the Skinnerd album, whatever. And then we'd play one of our songs. And people were like, what? They just looked really confused, but we sounded like we really knew the band. It, it, it was fun. It was a fun time, at least for us. Yeah. I don't know if for the person <laughs> requesting it or not. But, right. uh, but well, and it makes me think there was a, a night on stage for us where someone, uh, it, it was a pivotal moment for me. Because seeing how you handle things on stage where someone did heckle you and did heckle you with this thing that I, they made like a Jackie Chan reference yep. or something like that. Do you remember yep. this night? Oh, yeah. Um, and I felt like you handled it really well. Um, and, and it was one of those pieces where I'm just used to laughing off hecklers. And, right. and so I just kind of went in mode like, ha, 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 whatever. But then for you, it, it was a very serious thing. And I, I learned a lot watching how you handled it. Like where have you experienced those things uh like consistently playing and yeah. what um, has taught so, you to deal with it so well so you know this is very in the moment with with the stop asian hate um hashtag going around and and just this moment of reckoning that we're in in our country um and the doubters might say like oh surely it can't be that bad sure or, or oh my god i didn't realize it was that right. bad but um but yeah man even before the pandemic i mean you follow me on social so you may have seen it but like clockwork about every six weeks like Got that it. jackie chan moment that you experienced while we were on stage together that right. happens to me about every six weeks like clockwork just on, uh, online, at, in person, in online, gigs and at the every... grocery store, at the at the <clears throat> gas station. I will literally be minding my own business um, in line to check out and I'll hear Ching Chong Ching Chong or Jackie no Chan shit. or. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. Crazy. Oh, yeah. And then I'll have to um, I will have to make a decision in the moment. Um whether or not, like you said, you know, and, and I've been there myself uh, uh, throughout my life and my youth, you know, um, where do I decide to laugh it off? Do I s decide to ignore it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and just kind of uh, uh, just eat it? Um, right. But I have 
taken on, and I reserve the right to choose when I uh, to exercise this. But I've taken on the 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 stewardship of you know what I can handle this in this moment, mm-hmm. and I know that I have the ability to articulate, and like we talked about catching the heckling song requests, catching that lob, you know, right. in midair. You and preempted it, it back, already, right? you know, like... right. Um, but in that same way, you know, we talk about teachable moments. Um, I'll catch that racial, you know, slur or that racial microaggression midair. I'll mm-hmm. catch it and I'll throw it up into the air and try to transform it into something beautiful. You know, and so mm-hmm. in that moment, I know I'm not going to reach drunk guy who yelled Jackie Chan at me. But right. uh, if I remember correctly, my response was like, no, dude, that's not cool. You know, exactly. Um, you know, that's not cool. That's really not cool. And he was like, oh, man, I'm, but I, you know, I was just I was just kidding. You know, you're a rock star. I was like, yeah, I am a rock star, but I'm not Jackie Chan. And that's not funny. And right. what I said to why I said that was not to him because he's drunk. He may or may not get it in the moment, but mm-hmm. he might get it two weeks from now. Or everyone in the room is now witness to that, witness Mm -hmm. to how I handled it. So now the next time they see something similar, they're going to have that memory in their brain. And they may be like, oh, you know, that dude, that V-Tran rock star dude, you know, he was able to defend himself. But this person that I'm witnessing right now, they're not able to defend themselves. Now That's I huge. need to step up. I need to step up and be brave in the moment and neutralize this situation on on this person's behalf. You know, And so yeah. I choose my battles. When I choose moments like that and to respond in that way, I'm not choosing it for the offender. I'm choosing it for everyone else in the room. Mm-hmm. Like Take that, hold that. I'm going to plant that seed so that hopefully in a moment where someone else who can't defend themselves, um, that seed will then bloom in that moment. So you can step up and be the person who protects, you know, the person uh, who's vulnerable. That's huge, man. That having that perspective, too, uh, because one thing I've noticed in conversations recently, especially with the killings uh, from police officers of black men and, and talking to other black men like the common theme is I am tired. Like I'm, I'm just tired. I've, I've had, I've had friends share with me. Like I literally have no interest in talking to white people anymore because almost all of it is them educating one-to-one. Uh, and it, and to me, it's this eye opener, even hearing you talk where like in reality, you shouldn't have to be the one to defending that. Like, like someone coming from a, a place of, of power, if you will. Like I, like I said, I live my life as a white guy. Everyone sees me until you, you learn my name and I tell you I'm Puerto Rican. No one even really knows that <laughs> I have any kind of minority piece to me. And I, I learned that's a huge privilege and I've seen that. And now I'm seeing it's like, as, as my friends who are struggle with it. It's like, I have, there's just, I have this responsibility to speak up and you even sharing that. It's like the people at the bar should be speaking up to where you don't feel that pressure anymore right. either. Cause frankly, like you shouldn't have to, like you right. shouldn't have to black people shouldn't have to Asian people shouldn't have to. And, and yeah, I, I think that's huge that you're willing to, to put yourself out there to educate other people. And I can only imagine how tiring it is. And just from other conversations of people who have to live that every day as well. Yeah, well, and and it is. It's exhausting, brother. And and my call to you and to anyone else who wants to be an ally is now you know, 
right? Now you know. Right. There is um, there is a danger in being high functioning whatever. You know, if you're a high functioning X or Y or Z, uh, sometimes people assume, oh, he's got it all together. You know, just because I can handle that moment doesn't mean it's not exhausting. So, so my call for allyship is if you're on stage with, with me, now that we've had this conversation in this context, and that happens again, maybe you can, can do a self-check and be like, yo, man, I'm stepping in this time so V can right. conserve his energy. Because I've seen him do it time and time again. You know, I, I have heard his script. I know how to handle this situation now, mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to step in and save him the trouble of doing that. Right. Absolutely. So what I said, what I said before about, you know, making it a teachable moment so that the next time uh, when someone else who is vulnerable is in that situation and, and people can rise to the challenge, you can also do that to uh, for for your, your strong friends who are capable. But you know what? They, <laughs> they could use, they could use, a, you know, they could use a breather. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right? Well, and that's like for me, it even educated me where I I realized like it is a big deal, whereas I was just kind of like, haha, whatever, you know, kind of move on. But then seeing like how it affected you and how it impacted you. And then w once we got off stage, like seeing what that impact was, is like, oh, shit, this is some real things that that need to be confronted. And uh, it sucks that it takes that for me and for other people. But I think until they know, like I said, now. Now I know, now other people know, hopefully more and more people are learning and seeing these things. And the high functioning piece, like one of the friends I talked to, we're sitting there talking, he's he's like retired military. He's like works a government job, like high end, like leading other people. Like he's a high functioning dude. And what he shared with me is like, I'm just tired. I'm absolutely yeah. tired. Cause he's living his whole damn life. And, and it's like, yeah, like you said, just cause someone appears to be high functioning, they can deal with it, that weight, every single day that you and other minorities deal with, I can only imagine how heavy right. it is. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, and being Asian American and then also the, the, the legacy burden that comes with cultural expectations uh, where we're at and the, the harmful um, weight of the model minority myth, you know, and all of that stuff. Um, it's all, part of this this the system of, of white supremacy that's divide and conquer you know have the m minorities fight against each other you know Absolutely. have the poor people fight against each other um and that's something that 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 i am trying to actively unlearn you know when we mm -hmm. talk about intersectionality and things like that um and i've been guilty of of saying and behaving in microaggressive ways, you know, and, and I try to hold space that we're all learning and growing Absolutely. and evolving. If, if we have the heart to say, you know, we are a common humanity and, and, um, get over our own, uh, selfishness, you know, it's like it, what I've started doing, especially in this moment in time is, is, when someone tries to use my family's story um, and our relative success um, as a weapon, 
against mm. other minorities, particularly black minorities. Like, like I'll look, literally look what they did. Look what they right, did. Right. Why look, look, yeah. yeah, look at V. Look at that. They bootstrapped themselves, you know, not like those people. And we all know right. who those people are referring to. Yeah. And so now that's a moment, again, I choose to be like, yo, no, you do not get to weaponize my family's story you know, for your own latent prejudices and and bigotry, you know, Mm -hmm. because, uh, and now I have the script. I literally have the script where I say, look, you know, um, without diminishing my family's achievements since we arrived in America, Mm -hmm. um, the narrative that we did it without help is false. And then we would not have been able to achieve what we achieved if not for the sacrifice and bravery and courage of the black civil rights movement that predated our arrival in the United States. There were systems and resources uh, in place for us to take advantage of that we did not earn as Vietnamese refugees. Those systems were in place, how? Because of the civil rights movement, because of black pain. So you do not get to take my family's story and weaponize it against black people. And it can even happen. I see like even in my own family, there's Puerto Ricans who will use the success that some of their family against other Puerto Ricans or other minorities. And that that's been such an interesting thing for me to observe. Um, And and like you said, like how minorities pitted against each other, where I I remember first time visiting a, a family member who's Puerto Rican. And the way he talked about Mexicans, I was like, whoa, I didn't know we were supposed to hate Mexicans. I, I wasn't sure that of this thing. that, And then late, luckily, that was over a decade ago. Luckily, he has grown <laughs> past that and seen. But it's like everyone wants to continue to divide, to, to divide, to divide. And how do you right. stick together? That's, man, that's well, huge, it's... man. And the script is a cool thing that you're talking about, like yeah. laying that out for people to confront in a very specific way, but I cut you off. You're probably going. No, no, yeah. Well, no, 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 that's a good, good point. I mean, it's uh, the script is, is as you continue, cause we're always learning as you continue to learn, um, just absorb that information and internalize it so that you're prepared, you know, for me, because a lot of these talks are uh, exhausting. Mm -hmm. They burn up a lot of energy whenever I have these kinds of conversations. So as I learn and I figure out, Hey, that was that was an articulate, kind, compassionate, firm, and strong um, way to say that. Um, I'll I'll add it to the quote unquote script, you know, um, for those who are willing to listen. And then there are those who aren't willing to listen, and they just want to troll you on the internet and and mm-hmm. and whatever. And I just um, I don't have time for that. You know, right. and so I choose my battles and I choose not to engage in those battles for some people, um, you know, if they have the stamina, if they want that to be their battlefront, then I say, awesome, better <laughs> you than me. Right. Uh, right. Uh, especially right now. I mean, I would say, hey, white allies, you know, yeah, go, go fight the trolls on the Internet so I don't have to. You right. Know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's yeah, there's so many privilege. times where, where Jenny's like, she'll see someone else post something and she'll look at me like she already knows. She's like, do you want to do it? It's Saturday morning. And I know, do you want to spend the rest of your Saturday doing this? And what's it going to amount to? What You know, it's like we have these conversations, but it's like every once in a while, I was like, no, nah, fuck it. We're, we're in. And then sometimes it's like, I can't do this today. I don't have the emotional right. energy or, or mindset, but 
I I think it's it's such a good lesson though in what you're saying uh, to other people. Like I said, I I know I definitely walk in privilege in a lot of ways, and for those of us out there who do to to learn those scripts, to learn these stories, and just stand the fuck up, and so that other people can rest because a lot of people are tired. And so thanks for for diving into that a little bit and sharing that story on there. Now you you do all sorts of things, man. You're, you're all over the place. I know this last year has been one hell of a year uh, in in probably a lot of negative sense. Uh, seems like you've you found a way to still find a way to thrive in it. Um, what would you say uh, are some of the things you've learned about yourself during this last year? Maybe one or two things during this this pandemic and how it has affected you. Oh man, uh, you know. I'm going to be quite honest and say that <laughs> I don't know about thriving, uh, surviving. Yes, uh, I don't know about thriving, but but you know that's all uh, a matter of semantics. Um, it's been it, we've been able to hang on uh, just barely, but we also uh, I can also recognize that that others have it worse off um, while still not falling into the trap of 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 trauma olympics of being like oh my god other people have it worse so i can't feel this pain you know because right. that's unhealthy because your well. pain is very real to you <laughs> right right you know and it's all it's always a spectrum and i think that that's the big that's the big thing for me that has kept kept me afloat i mean i've spent a lot of a lot of uh, work in this time uh on self-care and wellness and and part of that was acknowledging that as difficult as these circumstances are uh being having been completely self-employed as a performer and a venue owner um and losing all of those streams of revenue mm-hmm. um that we still had a few safety nets before we hit catastrophe and those safety nets are starting to fray a little bit I but bet, yeah. um but we had that um and at the core of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, we had our basic needs of food, shelter, et cetera, you know, um, but not much more than that. Right. And so um, I had to rest, man. I had to rest by necessity. And um, that's exactly what I needed, you know, and um in the grand scheme of things, that's what this year has taught me. It kind of taking taking a bird's eye view of everything. I wouldn't say that 2020 has been the most difficult year of my life. I can literally recall other years that were far harder for me personally. You know, gotcha. I know that this is not true for others. And, and, and you know, uh, I... I ache for those people who have who have suffered great loss in this year, you know, and 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 I feel that as well, and I absorb that. But you know, for me, just going off the top of my head, I mean, uh, gosh, uh, nineteen ninety six was worse. Um, uh, nineteen ninety eight was worse. Uh, two thousand three was worse. Twenty seventeen was worse. <laughs> gotcha. You know, and and so I so there's I, this huge perspective for you looking right. back, like like we're we're still here uh my loved ones are still here with me i right you survived through it right right um and so taking stock and inhaling inhaling in this moment uh where so many things were outside of the locus of my control mm-hmm. um 
where in the past, uh, the over-functioning grinder on the Hustle V would have tried to Hulk smash through these walls and, and obstacles. And um, I just had to, to check in with myself and just be like, yo, guys, we can't Hulk smash through this. Right. You know, we literally can't. We do not have a fix for this. And we are only going to brutalize ourselves hmm. trying to find a fix for something that is so much bigger um, than any possible solutions we could come up with. So we got to rest. We got to rest. Right. And you know what? We weren't living very healthy anyway um and so and so this is probably good for us you know and, and I, for I, those listening you are a grinder man like i i was always challenged and encouraged uh, a lot of people would call me a hustler and getting out there and anytime we would me is like damn this dude you know you'd have your clipboards you'd have your your calendars everything all lined up i'm like man he is making shit happen <laughs> my spreadsheets my set list spreadsheets for the cover gigs even oh yeah like all of them yeah when oh. a musician says i'll send you a spreadsheet it's like yeah all right this dude he he's he's doing some things <laughs> a dynamic spreadsheet that counts the minutes uh of each set list so we can in real time click and track oh, yes. songs in and out and be like okay we need two more songs in this set list we just killed three or we're we're ahead <laughs> so we can kill two and still make the 45 minutes Yes. I I cried tears. I cried tears of joy on this because I love that. I I love backing you up because you knew where you wanted to go. There's a flexibility, but you knew where you wanted to go as well. Because like, yeah, the way I would track things out where it's like if a drummer would miss a a snare hit, I'd be like after the show, hey, you missed the snare hit going into the bridge. Just reminder, (laughs) you know, it's like everything for me was tracked out as well. So I, I respect it and love it. So no but but no that dude that version that part of me um that part of me uh is one of my greatest assets and he's also super super unhealthy (laughs) and so you know yeah i feel you (laughs) on on my end as well (laughs) and i know that a lot of uh a lot of your guests have talked about wellness and and self-care um and that's Mm. really you know that makes sense because of the collective trauma that we've all gone through and and grief that we've all gone through this past year. Well, um, I think for folks wired a lot like a lot of the artists out there mm-hmm. who are who are pushing trying to build things, uh it is. And I've said it so many times on the podcast as well. I think it's it's almost been a blessing despite all the, you know, not to minimize how the hardships, but the blessing at least for me and it sounds like for you is just being able to rest and learn what what rest is because I thought I knew what rest was, you know, the, the four hours I'd give myself on a Sunday or something <laughs> and, and realizing like, no, like, cause I, I, I thought, Oh, I'll push through in the beginning, but all I could find the energy to do is pour another glass of wine and smoke my clove cigarettes. Like, and right. I, I had never met that Miguel. I felt like in, in trying to understand this Miguel, like who is this Miguel? <laughs> but right. I learned I needed to let go in a way. Right. Absolutely. And for me, it, it came at a very interesting time because uh, 2020 was gearing up to be uh, huge, man. Um, yeah. In March of 2020, uh, our venue, the Buffalo Room, um, we were on track for an all-time record of bookings. We had over 30 bookings slated for March 2020. 
That's um, awesome. So more than than there were calendar days. I mean, we were, <laughs> we had some we had some double headers on some days of shows booked. Um, we doubled our staff to to accommodate for that. Uh, right. So we 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 spent mm. January and February hiring and training to Damn. in anticipation of March. Um, okay. And then concurrently with that, I applied for and received the Charlotte Street Foundation Generative Performing Artist Award. Um, uh, based on the merits of my previous work and the promise of the new work that I had in store. Mm-hmm. And that that award came with a um, a nice uh, cash prize, unrestricted. I could use it however I wanted. And nice. in my in my uh, jury presentation, I, I said, hey, I, uh, I'm gonna use these funds, you know, for a final push for The Butcher's Son, the folk musical about my family's escape from Vietnam. Final push for that to finally see um, who might our partners be to take this story national, right? To take this folk musical national. Um, Fly out and have the meetings that I need to have, et cetera, et cetera. That was gonna be a portion of those funds. Uh, The other portion were gonna be other plays that that, uh, I wanted to write. And then finally, um, the final portion of those funds were uh, going to be for um, my next uh, singer-songwriter record, uh, which uh, I already had a theme, and I've already got, I already had a lot of the album written before we released our last record, and I've just been sitting on these songs, and, and I had probably another dozen, two dozen uh, concepts, sketches, ready to go. So taking the time to do, yeah. to do that song cycle and that song cycle was uh is is slated to be called latitude and they're okay. all songs about a location and mm-hmm. reconciliation right nice um and so all of that hit at once you know all of that hit at once and the mad scramble and adrenaline uh uh and stress of okay so we're going to take a pause for four, four weeks, four weeks, and mm-hmm. we'll be back. And okay. We'll make a playbook for when we come back for the venue and, and this other, Oh, okay. So that playbook's not going to work. We got to throw that playbook away. Okay. We'll write a new playbook. Okay. Right. Okay. We got to throw that. Away. Okay. We're live streaming. Oh, everybody's at home now and on Wi-Fi, And so the streams are laggy and weird. How do we do this? Um, and so that's when all of the different parts of myself, um, the producer side, the artist side, you know, and then just like my core self, you know, we had to, we just had, we had, or like production meeting, production meeting, everybody, everybody in the room, what's going on here? And, you know, the, the producer in me is like, this live streaming sucks and this is not up to our professional standards. We do not have the gear to do this properly. And the dog is barking and, uh, you know, and, and like, the artist is the like, dog there. Yeah, Shut the and dog the, up. And the artist is like, yeah, man, this is not it, man. This is like, you know, yeah, we're performing, but this is like uncanny valley, like early CGI. It almost looks human. We almost look like we're performing, but we're not. This feels weird, you know? And then the core human being in me is like, man, we feel terrible because no one can cross through the kitchen. We're live streaming from the kitchen and everybody who lives here can't can't go use the They're microwave. like, bro, when's your show over? I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, and so there was just mass chaos. Oh man. Um, and and also the artist in me was like, dude, promises were made. 
you know mm. we got this award to do the uh, new works you know and and we have an obligation to uphold you know uh that that award that we got and and right. all of these works etc cetera, etc cetera. and then the chorus part of me um had to take the floor and say to everybody hey wait 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 the new album was going to be called latitude can that latitude be for us hmm. can we extend latitude and grace and self-compassion for us to do what we need to do in this moment which is survive that's powerful right? man because if we don't survive none of that happens none of those stories you know, none of the responsibilities, you know, we cannot help others if, if we, um, if a, we're a martyr to our own um, sense of obligation. Right. Right. Um, and I, I imagine at that point, a lot of shoulders kind of relax and dropped uh, on the people hearing that. I hope so. And that's what I want to give others who need to hear that mm. in this moment in time. And I'm not saying, you know, uh, this lollygag and shirk all of your responsibilities. No, it, it is it is it is releasing anything that is not your direct responsibility, giving yourself permission to just take a moment and be like, you know, this is the season that we're in. Mm -hmm. The season will pass. And when the next season comes, you can reevaluate. But in this season, maybe you just need to be a good husband or a good son or a good father um, or a good friend to yourself. Right. Right. Um, before the work can continue. And those are the things that I think in general carry carry us through everything else anyway. Like, I think that was a big learning for me. It's like all these things that I didn't think I was neglecting because I, I tried to schedule time in with the people that I value the most and, and, and running around. But in a way I see where it's like, I still was neglecting them. And I see where there's a quote I keep thinking about is busyness is a form of laziness uh, from Tim Ferriss. And I just like doing things and I want to start a new thing. And yet again, more and more. And so learning, like even now my hope is going into uh, this new season of things opening up. It's like, how do I discipline myself so that I'm not being busy for the sake of busyness? And, That's and right. That's right. Movement. Um, and what what do you feel like you want to carry in to this next year for you as things begin to open up? Uh, very good boundaries and very good um, archaeology of self. It's a it's a coin. Uh, uh, it's a term that I coined for myself as part of my wellness through storytelling. Yeah. Um, uh, curriculum because I've been teaching these workshops uh, uh, and teaching participants how to use the fundamentals of storytelling um, as a self-examination tool. Um, in the archaeology of self, um, I kind of borrow inspiration from J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, uh, who wrote The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. you know, and he was a philologist and, and a professor of languages. And so he had invented these languages, you know, very like fully functioning uh, uh, languages for, you know, these different uh, yeah, elven races and dwarven races. And um, what I loved about his process was not that I'm a 
epic fantasy, high fantasy author, and I created these worlds. No, as a lover of languages, he said, well, I discovered these languages. They exist. Who, who did they exist for? Hmm. You know, and so he he crafted these stories through a sense of curiosity and archaeology of like, I'm going to dig up and discover where these languages came from and what the histories of these people were. Right. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> right. Incredible way to approach it. Right. No and, idea. and so uh, that's something that I have held on to in my process where it's like when I'm stuck as a writer, uh, and that can be, you know, any form of writing, whether that's narrative fiction or, or playwriting or, or songwriting, um, I say, I, I go into archaeologist uh, mode. I'm like, who was here? What was the story here? I need to hmm. investigate and be curious, right? Uh, and now I've taken those same tools, and I have... Um, combine them with my own experience with cognitive behavioral therapy, going through cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and I see direct correlations um, to be able to kind of teach these concepts uh, of like, hey, look, we all have different parts of ourselves, you know, um, parts of ourselves that have crystallized because of certain things that happen, right? Mm -hmm. And those parts of ourselves are evergreen. They're locked in the moment at which they were created. For example, a part of myself is ref Refugee V. Refugee V is three years old. He's in the refugee camps. He is in a constant state of alarm and insecurity because he's starving and he's in danger, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. All other parts of myself, um, I would say their primary super objective as a character, if, if this were a story, their primary super objective is protect refugee V, right? So any threat to that defenseless child, real or perceived, right. will cause them to act out in a certain way. And there's a 16-year-old V um, who watched his father start wasting away from liver disease and and he needed a transplant and uh, you know that version of myself held my dad's hand as he was delirious from the liver disease toxins and the meds that he was on and just how shattering and traumatic and grief inducing that experience was because, you know, my dad was my hero, and in many ways, uh, you know, our concept of God is our fathers, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and in that moment, uh, my God became fallible. Hmm. You know, what happens when your concept of a just, all-powerful, all-protecting God is weak and frail and wasting away in a hospital bed, right. you know? And so that 16-year-old version of V put on all the weapons and the armors because he said, we're, we're on our own now, y'all, you know, dad can't protect us. Nobody can protect us, you know? So I need to take everything that I have and make sure that nobody hurts refugee V because dad can't protect us now. No one can protect us now. Right. Man. Um, this is, is a powerful way to walk through this, but sorry, right. continue. No, no. Continue. Um, but the thing is, is all those parts of me, 
are just parts of me. They're not the whole. And what we learn in theater as an actor, what is your goal as an actor? Memorize your lines, get off book. That's what we say, you know, that we call it get off book, you know, because until the, your lines are in your muscle memory, in your body, right? You can't fully embody the character because you're fumbling right. over your lines. You're, you're trying to remember what your lines are. You have to go off book, right? So it's in your bones, it's in your muscle memory. Well, the thing is, is these parts of ourselves, they're off book on a narrative that may be false or incomplete. Damn. In, in literature, that's dramatic irony. You know, we see it in right. all, of, all of the stories and all of the movies and all of the books that we love. It's how we can root for a flawed hero or uh, an anti-hero or, or even a complex villain. We're like, we root for them because they're like, oh, we know that they're flawed, you know, but 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 we want to see how this story plays out. We know, right. you know, we know as an audience their 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 self-delusions, their blind spots, et cetera, et cetera. We see the story as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. But within ourselves, these parts of us, they are suffering from dramatic irony, right? These parts of ourselves that we react out of. Why, when we're in a certain situation with a family member or with someone that we know and we have that same old fight, that right. same old fight that we've always had? My sister had, and I, if we get in the room, sometimes we can still revisit same old things from years that's and we're grown-ass those... people. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry um, to interrupt. But yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Because in that moment, you're not you and her in this moment right now. You're the versions of yourselves at 16 or yeah. 17 or 12, you're going back to that script. You're off book on that script, which has incomplete information, right? And I've, I've often heard about uh, moments of trauma and often uh, people will get stuck at the same emotional maturity level that they experience that trauma. So that's why you can meet a 50 year old woman uh, who was traumatized at 13 and she may emotionally still deal with things like a 13 year old. It's like they get stuck uh, in that narrative as, as right. you're breaking it down. So an right. archaeology of self, is that what you call? Yeah, the archaeology that... of self, because now yeah. I am taking that same lens that I have mm -hmm. as a storyteller, you know, and I can turn that magnifying glass on myself and be like, right. in this moment, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? Oh, I'm not feeling it. Refugee V is feeling it. Man. I'm not feeling it. 16-year-old V is feeling it. I need to have a, a moment and chat with that version of myself, you know? For example, um, there's a very, like, like when I was in grind mode, you know, mm -hmm. I literally had to tell like my stage manager, um, remind me to eat because I'll forget to eat, right? I remember so, you actually yeah. talking about that. I think I've been in rooms where you said that and it's like, right. And well, even at focused. gigs, <laughs> even at gigs, even at gigs, you know, I, I'm sure you noticed I turned to Ben because, you know, Ben's my brother, Ben Byard, right. uh, our mutual bandmate. What a band slut. Love it. <laughs> Such a band love whore. <laughs> I love it. I love you, Ben. But, um, but you know, you'd, uh, you'd see me offhandedly and we, it wasn't a big deal, but I turn, turned to him and it's like, hey, remind me to eat during the next break, you know, because I'll forget, <laughs> I'll forget, right? Because I'm on that right. grind, right? Well, you know, we, we talk about uh, hangriness, right? When, you, when mm -hmm. someone gets hangry, oh, first world problems. But then with this self-examination, this self-archaeology, it's not a first world problem. It is refugee V literally mm. in, in spidey sense, red alert, um, food insecurity. 
I'm in the refugee camps. I don't know when my next meal is, right? Wow. And the self-trauma that producer V is putting refugee V in mm -hmm. was so brutal because now refugee V is like, are we in danger? Are we in danger? We have no food. Why aren't we eating? Right? right. And producer V is like, cause we on that hustle. We on that hustle. And then 16 year old V is Says, producer V wake the fuck right. up. <laughs> right? No, no, no. But the thing is, is 16 year old V is weaponized, right? He was, uh, right. he's weaponized. He's not like, he's yo V you should eat. He's like, why the hell are you hurting us? I'm going to mm. hurt you. I'm going to hurt you until you stop hurting us or I'm right. going to lash out at whoever is closest to me. That might be Miguel. That might be Ben. That might be whoever is in the room because huge, Refugee man. V is in pain and we want that pain to stop. So we're going to lash out because Producer V won't stop. Refugee V is in danger, you know? And so... Yes. And so in those moments, and, and I'm sure that you've been there at a gig where I kind of lose, uh, lose my shit, you know, mm -hmm. and I have a moment. Um, it's not because of anybody in the room. It's because I was brutalizing myself without realizing it. Absolutely. That's huge, right? man. And I, I feel you because I can think of the times like anyone has ever been in a band with me. They've definitely seen some not so great sides of me because when I get in a certain mode, uh, not to excuse it, but it's just there's times where that lashing out comes. Uh, but in reflection, usually I know in that moment, one, it wasn't the right choice to make. But two, it often didn't have to do with exactly what was happening in there, whether it's interpersonal or or like in my own head, in my own heart. Right. And but man, I love that. That is a powerful powerful way to think of it I, got, I have a run after this so i imagine i'm going to be sitting there for <laughs> for my long run just yeah. like chewing on that like like looking through my own history and trying yeah. to understand that hopefully people listening will take that same journey uh the the archaeology of self that's man that is huge yeah. that is well really and huge. i want to leave with this note and maybe this will will help you too because you're a grinder like i'm a grinder and the anecdotes that we just shared were like, man, producer V or producer Miguel, those guys are dicks. Those uh -huh. guys, are <laughs> you know, right? Jenny told but, me she was like, she saw me once. She was like, I'd never right? want to work for you. As she's like, <laughs> but hey, this is hey, not okay. <laughs> we're talking about self compassion, right? We're talking about seeing the whole, right? right. Uh, the whole picture, right? So, so check this. It's not producer V's fault either, because who is producer V? Producer V is the son of refugees who lost everything, who came to this country with the clothes on our backs and $20 that a missionary gave to us and who built from there, who worked in meatpacking plants for, for terrible wages just so that we might have a fighting chance to choose our path in life, hmm. right? So Producer V is carrying the legacy burden of the kid whose parents did not force him to get a conventional job, did not force him to go to law school or med school like all the other Asian, you know, students out there. The, the refugee story of right, right. their study no, and my parents, <laughs> my parents were gracious enough to say, hey, we didn't bring you over here to force you into a locked path. That's what would have happened to you, you know, from where, where we came. We brought you here so you should, you could choose, you know, mm. and you chose this path. And so producer B says, well, I need to make good 
yeah, on their faith weight. in me. Yeah. And so producer V was carrying, carrying they call it legacy burden. Mm. The legacy burden of all the sacrifices, you know, and all of the privilege, even though, you know, you might say, well, <laughs> he's a starving artist, you know, he doesn't have privilege, but he, he recognizes mom and dad slaughtered cows for how many hours? So I could do what? You know? Right. So, so you could I carve better, out your own path. Right. And, and they so I better, yeah, yeah, right. You know, but, but again, the wisdom, the wisdom of, of the, uh, of others to show us our incomplete narratives is I remember mm-hmm. my mom came, came to visit once and, uh, I was uh, in the middle of tech week for a, for a play I was in. And tech week is when you add all of the other elements, the costumes, the lights, uh, you know, the sound. Um, and basically it's a black hole for like a week. Y- you don't see anybody in the production because we're just in it. We're in the zone, right? Right. Um, and she was visiting. And at, concurrently at the same time, I had uh, the honor of, of being invited to uh, give a TED talk uh, at uh, TEDx Wyandotte. Um, uh, and I chose to speak on the empathetic power of storytelling, right? <laughs> Which you're, you're getting a little glimpse of, of what I, you know, right. what I'm talking about when I say empathetic power of storytelling, and 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 the power that we have as storytellers to 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 share stories and and share empathy, build empathy. But in the midst of that, I'm in Tech Week for a play. I've got a tech rehearsal for for the TED Talk. And to maximize our time together, mom's tagging along, you know, as I go to these things. And, um, and so we run to the tech rehearsal for the TED Talk. We, uh, I run back home to drop her off uh, before I go to rehearsal because that was going to be like three or four hours and, you know, uh, it's private rehearsal. Uh, and so I drop her off at home. And before I get back in my car, she grabs me. She's like, wait, wait, stop, stop, stop. Um, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? I, I'm, going to, I'm going to my tech rehearsal. And she's like, no, no, what are you doing? Um, hmm. Because I don't know what that was that we were just at, which was the TED Talk, because Mama Tran <laughs> doesn't like, know what I don't know. know. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> my but, son's you know, speaking about something. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like <laughs> I, she doesn't know what a TED Talk is, right? Um, and she's like, I don't know what that was, but I could tell it was, you know, a big deal, an important deal that these people invited you to be a part of. Um, and you weren't there. You were not there. You were at the next thing. Um, mm. And I don't know why you're living this way or why you're doing this to yourself. But if it's because of me, I want you to know you don't have to prove anything to me anymore. Mm. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> And this was like, this was after I wrote The Butcher's Son, you know, and this is after I had articulated my family story, her story, you know. Um, that was the lifting of that legacy burden that I had carried hmm. for decades, man. right? She was like, no, you don't have to carry this weight, you know? We brought you here so that you could choose. You chose this and you did it. So please enjoy it. <laughs> you know she's like i because didn't it, want you to do it and then kill yourself i want right, you right right to well and celebrate it <laughs> and then and then uh you know i get my storytelling abilities from her because uh, she turned on a dime she's like because if because if you're going to be this miserable doing this then i take it back i want you to go to law school <laughs> 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 well 
man, that's it's it's crazy because I I have not done this archaeology work uh, in the way that you're describing it. I, I look forward now after this to do it. But I remember it was several years back, and I was running, 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 going. I mean, I was like, I was on like the last gear you possibly could go. Mm -hmm. And I remember Jenny and I had a rare moment where we were just talking. And I remember sharing with her, like, I keep asking myself why I'm doing this. And the only thing at the time that I could come up with is I just, I felt guilty because I loved what I did so much that I felt like I had to work this hard because everyone didn't get to do the things I got to do. And I don't know what, where that piece fits in my history. And it'll be interesting to dive into that, uh, for myself and actually get ready here soon, start counseling again to go through and unpack a lot of things. That'll be this archeology span of self is perfect timing for me. <laughs> um, but, but man, that's, that's a big piece of like, why do you keep going for your mom to say that though? Whew. Right. I imagine sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes in the, you know, in this self-examination, you need others, you know, but mm -hmm. also you need to be ready to hear it too, hmm. right? You need to be ready to hear it too. And so I share that anecdote so that you also don't villainize yourself mm. inappropriately, right? It's right. like, okay, like, like I'm examining all these different parts of myself. It's that part of myself. It's that guy's fault, right? <laughs> no, like because that guy was trying to do something good too. You know, that part of you was trying to do something good too. Even the parts of us that, that, yeah, my therapist says, uh, it's an explanation. It's not an excuse. Right. Hmm. Um, right. there are parts of us that have done wrong, right. There are parts of us that have made mistakes. Right. Um, and we need to own up to those mistakes and we need to learn and grow Absolutely. from them. But, but <clears throat> there are even parts of ourselves that, Oh, when we examine and we're like, oh, God, I behaved badly in that way, and now I can see why. It's an explanation. It's not an excuse, right? right? So part of that is owning up to the mistakes that we've made and then forgiving and, 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 and making amends, whether that's with others or with ourselves, you know. But at the end of the day, even the parts of ourselves that are, are calcified and bitter – uh, and in pain. And I'm going to be very careful here uh, because I don't want to to give the wrong impression, but I'm going to say this real quickly and then I'll expand upon it. Um, pain is a sign of love. Not in a let other people inflict pain upon you sort of way or not as uh, self-harm as, as, you know, right. or, you know, like I'm not talking about maladaptive behaviors. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that you look back, especially for me, when I get into a negative cognition spiral and I'm spiraling down and just like the world is shit and I am shit and I'm not, no, I'm in pain. And what mm -hmm. is pain, but, but a physical and emotional and spiritual reminder that I want to be alive. Mm -hmm. I want to love myself. I want to love the world around me. And there are circumstances, whether in myself or the environment around me, that is preventing myself from fully giving over to love, love of self, love of others, right? right. And that's why I'm in pain. 
not because I hate myself or not mm. because I hate that person. <clears throat> it's because, you know, pain exists in this world. You know, uh, mm -hmm. we, we should be granted a life that is free from danger that is outside of our control, but we're not granted a life free of discomfort, right? right. And so it's sitting in that discomfort uh, and then being able to determine, is this discomfort or is this danger? And mm -hmm. how is that going to, how is that going to um, shape how I act and react in the world, right? right. And am I going <clears throat> to act within my integrity, right? Absolutely. Well, and that's, it makes me think of like the opposite of love is indifference. And right. it's like when I, I think of, you know, like when you see marriages, it's like when a marriage is over is when they no longer care. Like they're right. not hurting. They're not angry. They're not fighting. They just exist next to each other. And it's like, I've seen marriages like that. And that's when it's over. It's not when you're fighting and he heated in the moment. It's that's when, you, like you said, it's like, if you feel that anger or that pain or the, it's because you do care, but then you got to figure out how, what, what's the healthy thing to right. do with that, to climb out of that. Cause there's so many unhealthy things right. we, we can go for. So man, yeah. Archaeology of self, man, that is, that's big. I think I'm glad you shared that on this. I hope, uh, uh, a lot of people will be listening to us and, and connecting that. I like I said, I know I'm even, I, I have a 45 minute run uh, coming yeah. up <laughs> just after this. I'm going to be chewing on that. Uh, and an hour has flown by. I feel like there, there's so many other directions I'd love to go, but maybe we'll just have to have you on uh, down the road. Yeah, I did want to, I did want to wrap up last two questions. And I think you've hit on these, these topics so much throughout this. Uh, but the last two questions live and create uh, right now, how would you define living a great life? I think uh, we just touched upon it. For me, it's living a great life is living within your, your integrity, right? Doing good, spreading good, protecting yourself, uh, but also knowing that, that, in the short time that we have before we return to stardust, you know, whatever you believe metaphysically um, is up to you. But I know that at least in, in this old bag of flesh and bones, we have a finite time before we return to stardust. And within that time, you know, um, what will you leave behind? And I'm not talking about immortality of ego. I'm talking about you know, the lives that you affected, you know, and the ripples, however big or small, you know, not, not quantifying in comparison to others, but just being able to, to live with yourself, you know, as yeah. your life expires, you know, and did you live with integrity and, and, and honesty? Um, did you um, try to spread goodness uh, in your word and deed? So that's, that's living a great life to me. That's awesome. And I know I see you live that out. I, like we we've literally known each other since high school, which was uh, several years ago uh, for both of us. <laughs> and uh, I think that's something you do so well is build community and invest in other people. Like I anywhere I go throughout this city, someone knows you and not just like, oh, yeah, I know V. It's it's a story of how you encourage them or help them or challenge them along the way. And so you're you're definitely living that out. It's awesome, man. Well, thank uh, you. Sometimes I need to hear that because I just figure like. <laughs> 
I'm this misanthropic grump. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you really are. And I know this is a dark way to say it, uh, but uh, there's a Gary V. I talk about him all the time on this damn podcast. People are probably sick of it. But for him, he's like, when I get to the end of my life, like success for me is how many people show up to my funeral because I actually impacted their life. And I can only imagine uh, a long time from now <laughs> when that day comes for you, like you said, this this bag of bones goes away for you that it will be droves of people because of, uh, of how you impacted people. And you've impacted me in, in so many ways as well, but you're definitely living that out, man. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you know, that gift because, uh, you know, self negging part of V <laughs> says what, you know, it, it's going to be like my mom and my sister, and my wife. <laughs> you know, it's going to be like seven people. Maybe <laughs> they might zoom no. in at this point. <laughs> Uh, definitely, man. Uh, no, you, but... yeah, you've impacted so many, and definitely uh, me as well. And even in this podcast, man, that the stuff you shared uh, so huge. And so, last question: How would you define right now creating great things? Oh man, you know, with everything that we've talked about today, um, you know, we've we've traveled down quite some some fun for me uh, roads because I, I really really enjoy talking about this stuff. Um, you know as far as self-examination and storytelling. Um, but um, maybe just playing wagon wheel really well. <laughs> playing wagon wheel and bringing joy to the crowds out there. <laughs> I'm a cover musician, musician too, folks. I'm a cover musician. No, I have original works too. No, it's so funny because it's like, uh, yeah. I love that you brought it full circle because we started right. on wagon wheel and we end on wagon wheel. <laughs> well, because, you know, like um life is a circle right <laughs> it's a wheel it's a wheel it's a wheel of time one of my favorite my favorite uh uh fantasy series um actually a lot of uh, a lot of my wellness concepts i pull from there as well wheel of time by robert jordan check it out y'all um, uh but last question how how would you define aside from wagon wheel and playing it uh even better how would you define creating great things creating great things um man just go back to that childhood sense of curiosity um you know you mentioned in a a previous podcast of of how um how someone in your youth said don't quit your day, day job when they heard <laughs> overheard you singing you know and i got right. that too i got that too um brene brown in one of her books uh calls that a, a creativity scar you know it's like all of us have these moments in our childhood where it's like, hey, draw a horse. Well, horses aren't blue, horses aren't purple. You did it wrong, you know? And that child internalizes that and says, oh, I guess I'm not good at this. I'm not good at drawing horses or drawing right. at all or doing any, you know? And it's like, um, I think for us to, to keep that, that childhood sense of play alive, right? Hmm. Um, craft and technique, are obviously important the grind right. the hustle the hard work that's important that's part of it yeah right? that's part of it um but you know it's like we talk about the technique and the spreadsheets and and the entrepreneurship that's the math of it you know that's the math of it those are the formulas uh that's the data the math doesn't lie but the english is is what is able to articulate that sense of magic. You know, mm -hmm. you combine the math and the English together, and that's the alchemy of, of a story that resonates 
within yourself and resonates with others. And you need that childhood sense of play, you know, that child within you who has boundless imagination, who is not constrained by what, um, what the grown up world tells you is or isn't, <laughs> you know, the, the grown up world that says, uh, you know, don't quit your day job. Well, guess what? We made it our day job. Boom. Right. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> but no, um, we're stewards of that. We're stewards of that. You know, uh, it's like Mama Tran said, you chose this, now do it, you know. Mm. And so we can now. It. Yeah. And enjoy <laughs> it. Exactly. So put that on. Put that on. And and I hope that I can let the producer, whoever is cracking the whip behind the producer version of you, um, that dude, I hope that that you can until you identify your Mama Tran moment in that. Uh, I hope that you can take my mama, my mama's words, um, and apply it to yourself. It's like, hey, yeah, you know what? You don't have to feel guilty. Um, hmm. You don't have to feel guilty that you, you're you on this path. And, and I'll bring this up in closing, uh, just because I know a little bit of your history and you know a little bit of mine. But, you know, as I was about to set forth into the world, you know, uh, because my dad was a preacher, so I was a preacher's kid. You know, I was toying around with maybe becoming like a youth minister or a music minister, which right. you ended up actually doing. Yeah, I right? was a minister for right, a long right, time. right. <laughs> um, and I remember this 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 um, conversation that I had with with um, a church mentor of mine, and they're like, "Oh no, no, we have youth ministers, we have music ministers. You know, they're a dime a dozen. What you have." we don't have go out into the world and mm. do you do kudos you. to that guy yeah right wow right because that's rare like, unfortunately in my seasons in the church that that kind of thing wow kudos right to him. <laughs> and honestly i don't even remember who it was maybe it was jesus maybe it was an angel he just slipped you know, right just, in and said he hey, slipped bro. right in it's like <laughs> yo dog yo dog get out get out get out dog <laughs> get out into the world you know but 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 they were like no you <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had a, a picture of Jesus on a pew in Western Kansas, leaning over to Vietnamese V Tran and saying, yeah. "Bro, get the fuck out." Go. <laughs> no, but but like you know, I share that in that that it's like that's a calling too, you know. Um, we are called to do certain things, and and again, I'm going to go back to seasons, right? Seasons change. All of us will have different seasons in our life, even us artists and art entrepreneurs. There are times when our calling and our occupation are the same. And there are mm -hmm. seasons where they might be separate, but it doesn't invalidate our calling, right? Right. Um, we'll be that for the rest of our lives. Um, you know, sometimes there will be monetary security along with that and sometimes the seasons may may require us to have other occupations alongside it but i know i'm a lifer i know i'm going to be doing this till you know uh, i'm old and wrinkled you know yep. uh, until my last breath uh exhales i'm going to be telling stories whether through music or plays or the written word or just babbling incoherently you know <laughs> in, in, in my depends um and i wager that you will be as well and so yeah. just knowing that long game um 
because well, you know it. You know it physically. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Ultra, <laughs> Mr. Ultra Trying. Marathon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it's the same. It's the same. And also knowing because you have that training, knowing the difference between um, an aerobic pursuit versus an anaerobic pursuit. Yeah, that's a great analogy. <laughs> right? Um, because because this is not a sprint, you mm -hmm. know, and we need to stay above oxygen deficit, right? Because right? we need that oxygen to protect the physical body so that we can cast the magic, right? That's awesome, man. <laughs> I love it because that's I'm doing a zone two run after this to work on the anaerobic. <laughs> yeah, that's that's hilarious and a great a great analogy with it. And that I love, uh, Ben Byard tells a story often, uh, our mutual bandmate, the band whore, um, and he self coined that term just for anyone listening, <laughs> um, where someone told him, I think his first year of, of, uh, of college and studying to be in the theater. And someone said, listen, if you can see yourself doing anything else, right. Literally, you'll be happy doing anything else, go and do it because you don't want to go down this path if you can. And, I think that's the thing is like we've all knocked around long enough in life to figure out like, no, this is the direction I'm going. And it even when the times are hard, it's it's still it's like anything else. The the best day on the everything else was was not compared to the shittiest day in these pursuits. So right. it's yeah, that's right, huge, man. So in that marathon, give your yourself seasons of rest, because just as uh, as the athlete you are understands there there are rest days and there are recovery days and there's muscle repair day you know so in those seasons that that maybe you know your occupation and your calling aren't the same you're still actively you like like this past year you know i didn't release that album i didn't you know produce <laughs> that play etc cetera, etc cetera. i was um i was in the act of restoration I was restoring Absolutely. myself. I was letting my muscles repair so that I would be ready when it was time again, yeah. when the season changed again. Well, and it's, it's funny because there's a guy, I can't remember his name right now, but he did, he was a professional triathlete already, but he did 50 Ironmans in 50 days, 50 consecutive days. And it annihilated his body, of course. And like, he couldn't feel his fingers for six months afterwards. I mean, it, it put him through hell. And, but he's getting ready to attempt a hundred in in a hundred consecutive days because he's insane uh, like that's nuts but what he learned in his training is he's actually doing less mileage to train for that because he realized he was already going into those 50 consecutive days tired and hurt and so it set him up for he he succeeded but it set him up for a very very painful success and I've, i found that really interesting and just seeing how important the rest is the rest is where the growth actually happens when it comes to physical training uh, especially when you're doing lifting weights like as you know as well um yeah rest is so key man but uh dude thank you so much uh one thing about I, i'm gonna end it on wagon wheel again though so i know you're not a big fan <laughs> like you're a fan of what it does for for the audience right <laughs> um, i'm actually a fan of the song too it's 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 okay. a mighty fine song it's just it, it it's just i don't need to ever hear it again um as, as a listener i'll you sing know it, it internally you. 
I guess I'll that's true, too. I'll sing it for you. Because <laughs> I was thinking about Don't Stop Believing was my eye roll song. Like, we started right. playing it a long time ago because people would just go nuts, like, whenever we did cover shows. Uh, but then I, I was, like, somewhere along the way, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the lyrics, and I fell in love with somehow these writers captured like the human experience right in a, right a three minute and 40 second song or you know five minutes it was a little is you know back in the 80s but it and i was just gonna say watch out uh wagon wheel will sneak up on you but apparently it did already <laughs> so, <laughs> but you're right i never want to listen to it it's just when i contemplate like the story that it's telling i'm like man these dudes they captured something and obviously connected with so many people but absolutely uh, let everyone know how they can connect with you and how they can find what you're up to because you're up to a whole lot a whole lot of things here in the future yeah absolutely y'all um i'm active in in theater in music and now also kind of in the wellness sphere as well um and you can keep up to date with me on most social platforms uh facebook instagram twitter at vtran music that's v-i-t-r-a-n music so find me on there and you'll be able to find news on my wellness workshops my storytelling workshops uh, and what's in the pipeline for my theater and music work awesome man well thanks again awesome man thank you brother thank you for listening to the live and create podcast if you like what you heard make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review the live and create podcast